Welcome to the Portrait Detective podcast, where we dive into the collections of the State Library of New South Wales to discover iconic images from Sydney's past. Hi everyone, I'm Cassie Gilmartin, editor of portraitdetective.com.au. I'm here with Margot Riley, curator at the State Library of New South Wales, co-founder of Portrait Detective and an expert in fashion history and photography. Hi, great to be here and I'm really excited to delve into the story behind this really quite mysterious image today. I think mysterious is a great word for it. We've been covering quite a few iconic images from Sydney's past in this podcast based on the website called Portrait Detective and today as Margot mentioned we're looking at a happy snap from 1857 with links to one of Australia's most famous historical events, the Mutiny on the Bounty. And for everyone listening, you can see the image we're discussing by tapping the link on your phone at the bottom of the podcast homepage or visiting portraitdetective.com.au slash podcast. So Margot, we're looking at an image from 1857 of sisters Anne and Jane Nobbs. Tell us more about this image. Yes, well, when I was doing the uh, the fellowship that enabled me to sort of set up the concept for the portrait detective, as I say, I had this really extraordinary opportunity of just sifting through, opening up all the cupboards at the library and getting mm-hmm. to look inside. And one of them that I came across was this really beautiful and really intriguing image of two women. And the first thing that really made me do a sort of a double take was that one of them was wearing what looked to me a Mother Hubbard. Now, many people may not have heard of that term, Mm. but it was the type of loose flowing um, dress that is worn traditionally by Pacific Islanders. You know, the influence of the missionaries coming Mm -hmm. and clothing the nakedness Mm -hmm. of the the Polynesian women in particular. And I thought, hang on a minute, what's this about? And I saw the names on the, on the, on the, uh, photograph. Again, it was a very early albumin photo print, so I knew it was an early image from the 1850s or the mm. 1860s. And the fact that one of the women was relatively fashionably dressed and that the other was wearing what I would consider to be traditional islander dress mm. um, or, you know, post-missionary contact islander dress, it was very intriguing. So, um, yeah, that, that really encouraged me to delve into the story behind the, mm-hmm. the album. Mm-hmm. I then discovered that we had more than one copy, and that, again, was incredibly unusual for the time. Uh, with photography and the development of different techniques of photography, um, by this time, the middle of the 1850s, you get the development of the photo negative, which meant that you were able to make multiple contact prints. Mm-hmm. So the negative produced positive prints. So people creating photo negatives on glass, as they were at this time, were able to to share their photographs. Uh, And so to try and find out more about what was going on in this picture and all the clues, if you look very closely at the print, there's even uh, initials scratched Mm. into the emulsion on the back of the plate that are the initials of the photographer, I found out. So we have the name, we have this intriguing subject matter and potentially the identity of the photographer. Mm, Well, we're going to delve into that in much more detail. Um, But firstly... Why is this image iconic to you? you? You mentioned why it caught your attention. Why do you think it's iconic? Well, 
having done the research and looked into the names, knobs, I discovered that the, the women that we see in this picture are actually the great-granddaughters of Fletcher Christian. Aha. Uh-huh. So listeners may be aware that Fletcher Christian was the the, the seaman who led the um, the mutiny against um, Bly on on the bounty and with a group, uh, um, you know, forced um, Bly into the longboats and sent him off. And luckily, Bly survived. Um, but the um, Fletcher Christian took the the mutineers, sailed back to Tahiti, and um, uh, probably captured or kidnapped in some ways, or encouraged the Tahitian women to accompany them mm. on board, and then sailed off to find a haven in the Pacific. And they did manage to find an uncharted island, which meant they had a safe hiding place because mm. if it wasn't on a chart it's very unlikely that someone would actually find them again. Mm. So this is all happening in you know the late 18th century and uh, they, they, they land the ship on, on Pitcairn Island as it was known mm-hmm. and settle there and they burned the bounty so they actually mm. burned their escape route and they they set up a settlement on Pitkin Island they were wanted you know so they they were in fear of their lives and they did actually become incredibly religious mm. uh, i think because of the guilt they felt right. that you know mm-hmm. that there was nothing but a fiery end for them for because what of what they'd, what they'd done uh, it was a tricky existence on the island but they did um have relationships and the family generations continued. And the two girls that we see here are the daughters of Sarah Christian, who the granddaughter of Fletcher Christian, who in 1822 married a man called George Nobbs. Now, by 1822, the island, the Pitcairn Island, had been rediscovered. Right. Um, n- merchants sailing through the Pacific on trade routes had actually encountered the island. So it had appeared back on the charts. And so that meant that um, the islanders were um, trading, they were they were getting, exchanging, um, you know, food and various things with the ships. So they were getting cloth and they were being exposed to um, uh, the Western world. So they would be able to see newspapers and things like that. So that really was the end of the total isolation mm-hmm. for the islanders. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing here, the, the as I say, descendants of Fletcher Christian and the girls growing up on Pitcairn Island up until the middle of the 1850s, 1852, uh, at which time their father, George Nobbs, who is, as I say, a very religious man, has decided to be ordained. So he sails to Valparaiso in South, um, mm. South America, taking with him Jane, who is 21-year-old his daughter Jane, mm-hmm. 21-year-old Jane, to Valparaiso. One of their sons has already moved, gone by ship to Valparaiso. She stays in Valparaiso for 12 months mm-hmm. and her father goes on to England and is ordained as a minister. So I think in this image we see here Anne wearing the traditional Polynesian-style missionary dress, the Mother Hubbard, and her sister, who's been exposed to Western fashion in South America, um, Jane on the right, is wearing traditional European fashion. So perfect encapsulation of the mix of culture. (laughs) Yes, fantastic. Well, as you say, Jane is seated on the right and the younger of the two is standing on the left with her arm around Jane. And they look to me that they're very close um, as sisters. What do we know about them? 
Um, well, they were amongst the last members of the community on Pitcairn Island. Mm -hmm. The island had become unsustainable for the community by the middle of the um, 1850s. And the first Governor-General of Australia, Sir William Dennison, was charged with the responsibility of rehousing and relocating right. the community. Mm -hmm. So um, they were offered land... Well, originally land, but unfortunately they never got the land. But they were recited. They were um, picked up on Pitcairn Island and the community was moved to Norfolk Island. Right. So the girls came with their parents and the other members of the Pitcairn Island community. And this photo was taken on Norfolk Island? It was taken it? on Norfolk Island. Mm -hmm. So the, the move, the relocation happened in 1856. Mm -hmm. And then by 1857, Denison came on a, on a, a visit to sort of, you know, see how it had all gone and to probably, you know, sign a few papers or something. And he was very careful to have it, the, the, the meeting and the um, occasion documented by photography. And this is probably one of the first instances, I would say, where you have a historic event like this being documented by photography mm. in Australia. Mm. Um, the young man who took this photo, uh, his name was Matthew Fortescue Moresby. Mm -hmm. Great name. Great name. <laughs> <laughs> his father was actually commander of the Pacific Fleet at the time and the um, so Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea right. is named for his father. And I, I liked his, his his nickname, the son, Forty. Yes. Well, yes. that's all very Forty's taking jovial pictures and today. funny, isn't it? <laughs> he had actually been to Pitcairn Island several times on his naval, because um, he was in the Navy, like his father, cruising around the Pacific, going mm -hmm. on those um, patrols. Mm -hmm. um, he had visited a couple of times. He, again, was a very um, pious young man and really connected with the piety mm -hmm. of the, um, the local community, loved the whole simplicity of life. So when it came time to accompany um, William Dennison to Norfolk Island. 40 was a good choice. I don't know whether he had much choice, but anyway, he was quite keen. <laughs> <laughs> By this time, too, as a you know young up-and-coming bloke, he had learned one of the hottest new skills. He had gone to um, uh, with some friends and one of the scientific gentlemen, the um, uh, the master of the, of the mint, Sydney's mint in Macquarie Street, was also an amateur photographer. He was a scientist. Right. scientific training. So he had actually trained 40 how to take photographs on the glass plate mm -hmm. technique, which was a new style of photography to create these negatives. So 40 had his equipment on the boat and he was absolutely raring to go to, to, to document this historic event. And there is, um, he, it was written in, in a letter where he, he talks about the fact that he's been charged to, to take these photographs uh, and a series of them were shot. Uh, on his return to um, Australia, he shared his work with other young men of his circle who mm -hmm. were also interested in photography. And among those was a fellow naval officer by the name of Arthur Onslow, who later married into the MacArthur Onslow family. Mm -hmm. And again, at the library, we have an album that um, belonged to Arthur Onslow that has um, prints from other prints right. taken at the same photo session um, by a 40 uh, in, in that album. So it's, again, extraordinarily rare and fortunate to be able to bring all of these elements together yes, in, a... in talking about the, the context of um, this particular image. As a, a, complete, uh, a complete timeline. Mm, mm. And 
I had assumed that they would have lived in isolation on Pitcairn Island, but you said uh, that's not the case. So what what exposure to fashion would these women have? I mean, what they're wearing in this image is quite loose and relaxed, the, the Mother Hubbard dress that you referred to earlier. Uh, what would have been their influences and would they have made these garments themselves? I think they would have made them themselves because um, there really wasn't a ready to, ready to wear industry per se. And certainly I can't imagine there was anything much on Norfolk Island. There is the potential for some of it to be secondhand. You know, you can imagine that people mm-hmm. might have put together um, collections of clothing. Um, certainly the minister, uh, you know, missionaries in Europe would um, put together clothing bundles to go out to, you know, mm-hmm. communities. Um, as I say, they would have had access to t- textiles uh, through the traders and the merchants. Uh, so, And the Mother Hubbard was a fairly standard style, really like a Victorian nightdress. Mm. And that's probably it what it derives sort of from. Mm. Exactly. Mm. That the female missionaries of the time would have had white nightdresses in mm. their wardrobes mm. and they would have used that as the model and then of course using um, printed cloth because it wouldn't hide it would hide stains and marks and things and also probably would have appealed much more to to the local populations something you know lovely bright and colorful rather than just shrouds of white mm. um, so I think that and it's interesting that if you look closely at the image to, there's not a lot of difference in the textiles used in uh, Jane's more um, typical European style dress mm-hmm. and the Mother Hubbard style that um, uh, Anne is wearing. Mm. So it is likely that, you know, bolts of cloth would have, you know, been available and people would have just made either the Mother Hubbard or the other style. I think it's it, it really interesting that Jane is wearing a Western style dress having been off the island mm. and having been, you know, used to perhaps wearing um more traditional fashionable dress, mm-hmm. um, but that her younger sister is still wearing the Mother Hubbard. Mm. Um, I like the fact too that she's got a shawl draped around her shoulders, Jane, and you think, well, that's obvious. that would be a really um, desirable accessory. Again, it might have been a gift or something that she's picked up in South America. These embroidered shawls were very um, popular, very much a, an item, the Spanish shawl, as mm-hmm. it becomes oh, known. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, again, it's a really good photographic device here because with so much white material and in the early days of photography, trying to get a sense of separation between mm-hmm. the two figures, mm-hmm. wrapping the shawl around makes it you know, clearly separates the two mm. sisters. So, mm. yeah, I, I think it's uh, really interesting to look into this and to, to see those details. And if people are interested in the history of the Mother Hubbard, there are um, articles, uh, academic articles online that really go in great detail to the development of this fashion. Um, mm. And I just think it's extraordinary to have such a, a identified the, the, the subject matter. And when I was doing the research for this, uh, I found this really lovely description um, of the, the Pitcairn Islanders, uh, which was written by a gentleman who encountered the, the survivors um, and published in 1859. He says, um, a lovely comment about their appearance. The features of the Pitcairners, both men and women, were more strongly European than I had expected. They were tanned and brown-skinned, but most were no darker than sunburned brown-haired English women. And the women looked more Polynesian than the men. And look and wore loose cotton dresses, so it really 
fits with the image that mm, we see. It does. He goes on to say that the women were objects of particular admiration, tall, robust and well-formed, their faces beaming with smiles and unruffled good humour, but wearing a degree of modesty and bashfulness. Their teeth, like ivory, were regular and beautiful without exception, and all of them, both male and female, had the most marked of English features, though they have only the instruction of their Tahitian mothers. For our dressmakers in London would be delighted with the simplicity and yet elegant taste of these untaught females. What a fantastic quote. <laughs> That's terrific. It's just really, um, I um, think, uh, again, enhances this the viewing of this image yes. when you can have the textual evidence it as well. It matches so well, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's a less formal uh, photograph or portrait than others of the time. Is, is there a particular style of portraiture that we can attribute this to? Well, I think the fact that it is taken by an amateur who's mm-hmm. probably used to taking pictures of his own family mm-hmm. and, you know, friends. Um, so he's used to that, um, you know, a more relaxed style. They are um, in and outdoor. The other images in this series show that they were actually shot underneath a veranda mm-hmm. and there is mentioned that um, the studio, uh, sorry, not the, the office of um, one of the, the, where they were staying, was turned into a temporary uh, studio right. for the portraits. But, it, but also it speaks to the fact that they are sisters mm. because I think when when you're looking at 19th century photography, the poses and whether people, if people are touching, how close people are grouped together is often like a signifier of mm. their relationship. Mm. So if someone has a hand on a shoulder, you wouldn't normally have that kind of interaction if they weren't a couple mm-hmm. or they weren't mm-hmm. related. Mm-hmm. So if they were just two friends, it's less likely that they would touch right. in a 19th century photograph. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't be definitive about that. And these things change towards the end of the 19th century as people relax. Mm-hmm. But certainly at this very early date, um, I think this is very indicative of them mm-hmm. being sisters, mm-hmm. that they are portrayed this way. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure, I know I want to, and I'm sure listeners want to know, what ended up happening to the sisters? Well, they lived happily ever after. Oh, fantastic. You know, they did as all 19th century girls should do. They they found partners and raised families of their own. So, oh, yes, lovely. On Norfolk Island. On yeah. Norfolk Island. So Norfolk they stayed Island. on yes, Norfolk Island. both stayed on Norfolk Island. Oh, yeah. what a lovely story. Thank you for sharing. And I, I've loved talking about Jane and Anne and their life on Pitcairn and Norfolk Island. And it's been terrific talking to you, as always, to discover more about the history and context of this image. Thank you, everyone, for being with us today on the Portrait Detective podcast. And thank you to Margot and the State Library of New South Wales and Create New South Wales for their continued support of this project. I'm Cassie Gilmartin. And I'm Margot Riley. Join us next time as we discover more iconic images from the State Library of New South Wales collections. Mm-hmm.